0: This is Beyond the Studio, a podcast that serves as a way of telling our stories. It is a way to influence, teach, and inspire those around us. Telling our stories help us to make sense of the world and to share that understanding with others. The interviews are designed to have listeners make a connection to themselves and the artists with hopes of inspiring them and reminding them that our experience, our journey, and our stories matter. Welcome back. My name is Gayatri O'Brien and this is Beyond the Studio. I am so excited that you have chosen to tune in and be here with us at this time. I'm grateful for all the love and support that was being shown over the past few weeks with the launch of the podcast. And I cannot express enough how happy I am to hear that these stories are connecting with you. I'm really excited about today's guest. She's a great friend of mine, a dancer, and an overall amazing person. Please welcome Sujata Martin. Hi, Sujata.
1: Hi, Kayatri. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to do this with you. I'm excited
0: for today, I really am. But before we get started, I really want to take a minute just to tune in and connect together. I know we're all in different spaces, different areas. um, And I just really want to take the time to let go of anything that didn't serve us prior to getting here. So if you could all, including, including Sujata, please close your eyes or give a slight lowered gaze. You can place one hand on the heart, if that serves you, and one hand on the belly. Take a nice deep breath in, holding it at the top for four, three, two, one. We exhale, holding it at the bottom for four, three, two one. If your hands on your heart, maybe you feel the warmth from your hands onto your chest. Maybe it helps to lower the heart rate. Maybe it helps to drop the shoulders away from the ears. Nice straight spine. Lifting the corners of the mouth. Eyes slowly opening up. So it is. We are here
1: together. Hmm. All right. I love that little practice, Gayatri. Thank you. Oh, like, before welcome. we did that, my energy was up here. Like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. And now I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> you know, It's still that wonderful
0: high energy, but it's it definitely feels so a little different in your body.
1: Right? Yes. Mm, Well, thank
0: you for that. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, Sujata, please introduce yourself because you are filled with so much and I'm so excited um, to have our listeners really get to know you.
1: Mm, Thank you. Um, So I am Sujata. I wear many labels quite proudly Um, but some of the most important ones to me are I am a mother to a very active toddler a lot of the listeners can relate so sometimes it becomes hard for me to make time for myself as my other labels to make time for myself as a dancer. I am a women's health occupational therapist or a pelvic floor therapist, which I absolutely love doing. Um, And I have recently leaned on my faith a lot, on my spirituality a lot, which has, I believe, spurred this episode to an extent with, um, currently we are recording in the middle of the pandemic, God knows when it's going to end. But (laughs) pray that it's sooner rather than later. Yes, yes. And exactly, right? We pray like uh, so many of us have had to find some kind of grounding during this time of so much uncertainty. It is when I have found a real connection with spirituality. So now more than past years, I would label myself as a Hindu also. So that background being raised in India as a practicing Hindu having my rebellious years in college where I was a proud atheist oh my god no
0: way (laughs) what
1: what yes oh yes I was like all this is bull crap this makes no sense but then when life really hits you you know then it's like wait a minute I need my faith. I need my spirituality. I need this for life to make sense to me.
0: (laughs) Guys, I did not know this about Sujata. I am like, I am shocked. Rebellious. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right, keep on.
1: So yes, so those are a few of my labels. I am also a very proud immigrant. I am, I actually became an official American last November, so almost a year to today. So that's very exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I love being here with you all of you, wherever you're listening from. And I'm so grateful for this virtual community that we have, you know, where we can connect with so many people in so many places. So the pandemic definitely has upsides. How old is your son again? You said very active. He will be three in January.
0: He's going to be three already. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. The years go by so quickly, even though the nights feel like they oh my take goodness.
1: forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the nights feel like they take forever. Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your background in dance.
1: Okay. So let's see. I began, I am currently trained in formal classical Indian dance Bharat Natyam. I have done other forms of dance when I was born and raised in India, primarily Bollywood and folk dance styles of Bhangda and Garba. In the US, when I moved to go get my master's at UB, I discovered Argentine tango, which I also absolutely love. So again, I think I am this one person full of contradictions where I love this classical formal temple dance style, which, you know, is tied in so closely with spirituality and faith and things like that and of course i love argentine tango with its flair and drama and you know all of that so that's my background in dance um like most classical dancers i started off very young i remember going to my first class when i was four um so it's very like you know even now I can imagine my teacher, and this is old school classical dance teacher who would sit on the floor, like a lot of Indian dance teachers will, and she would keep time with a little wooden stick. And if you didn't do things right, the wooden stick would find you. <laughs> so very, very <laughs> old school. Oh my god! Um, For so anybody again,
0: listening, it's very similar to a metronome. So it just like keeps keeps the beats. Yes, exactly. Against um like a like a wood like a piece of wood.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a little plank of wood and then like a little wooden stick, and the teacher would keep beat. So again, I'm sure Gayatri remembers some of this. I danced with Gayatri, and in my head, even though Gayatri was the sweetest choreographer she could be, she means business, but she's so nice when she critiques you. But in my head, I'm still imagining a dance teacher with the little stick, and I would obsess over getting things right. <laughs> Stick with you, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you mentioned that um, the different art forms um, and them being so dramatically different. I think one of the things that really ties us just to art and dance is the discipline right? Mm -hmm. Each dance form has its own discipline, right? So whereas Indian classical dance is very much um, into the spirituality ideas and concepts structured around the dance, there's still a lot of discipline that goes into it. And that goes for all forms of dance, I believe, Mm -hmm. right? Um, How would you um, define spirituality?
1: That is a hard one. I think spirituality I define as the act of connecting with ourselves on a plane beyond the physical, you know, and again, we define this differently based on our life experiences based on what we believe in, if we believe in a structured faith at all. But I believe from my experiences um, that all of us, each one of us is more than our physical bodies. You know, there is that soul, there is that extra something that life force, you may call it like um, a pran in Sanskrit. And that's where pranayam comes from, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we all have that something in us. So it can be connecting with your self, your inner self. It can be connecting with that self, that light, that life force among others. And it can be connecting with that life force, that greater life force, if you want to call it God, if you want to call it Bhagwan, you want to call it Ganesh, whatever you call it, but that one universal power connecting with that. So spirituality can mean so many things. And again, as I've evolved as a person right now, to me, spirituality means how I understand that hey, I am not just one individual. Me, I am connected with people around me and I am connected to this universe. So again, sometimes I, if I said this, 23-year-old me or 20, 20-year-old me would think, okay, this girl is nuts and she's kooky, <laughs> you know, but... Now that I'm a little older and a little wiser, like it makes sense to me because, you know, life happens, right? Yeah. And then you're in a place and there's like, that was the plan. Mm-hmm. This is why I am here, you mm-hmm. know, like this was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So when, and again, being a mother also has been the biggest like push towards spirituality for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: because sometimes motherhood will throw you such curveballs. That you know you need that anchor, and not even just that. And sometimes you are in such like beauty, like like how is life so great? So again, gratefulness yes, come ties into that spiritual aspect. You know, like so again, it's hard to define. But for me, spirituality is again recognizing that I am more than the physical embodiment,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so is everyone else. And and I can honor that, you know, I can connect with people at that level, you know, they don't have to look like me, they don't have to talk like me, but we can still connect. And same thing, you know, people anywhere, people listening, the universe, you know, so yes, spirituality is that connection with people and then understanding that at one, on one plane, we are all the same, Mm -hmm. you know, on one plane, we are all connected.
0: Absolutely. I definitely feel that. I think that one of the best examples I can give is what just happened when we took a moment to tune in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, was, it was as exactly. if we connected, right?
1: Exactly. Yes. So if yes.
0: anybody else felt that energy... That is exactly what Sujata is trying to explain. Yes. So, yes.
1: Thank you. And you do it so much better than me.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I think you gave a really great definition of what spirituality is to you. Um, but, you know, that's exactly what just came through for me and how how I feel about it as well. It's just that energetic connection between self and others. Yes. So, yes. Wonderful, okay. So now as we dive into this, because the reason why we're talking so much about spirituality is because as an Indian classical dancer, whether it's Kathak, Odissi, Bharat Nadiam, um, Manipuri, there's like so many, yes. <laughs> we can go on. Um, for the most part within, within the dances and the dance form in that particular art form, it's all connected to the divine. OK, and so um, I guess my first question would be, can someone be an Indian classical dancer and not be spiritual?
1: Ooh, I like that one, you know, because we can relate it to so many other things. It's like, can I be a painter and not learn art theory? Like, can I not learn about the Renaissance or the Reformation? Can I not understand all that and can I be a painter sure yes you create art you create paintings you're a painter but is your work informed by everything that came before you mm. maybe maybe not so it kind of ties back the same way so sure you can definitely even be a good Indian classical dancer but you can't be great because just the way <laughs> and am just gonna tell it <laughs> how it is you cannot. Honestly, yes, no, it's not <laughs> possible.
0: Um, and please explain to them why you feel this way.
1: Yes, yes. So a lot of the Indian classical dance styles originated as like temple dances or a way to really take structured religion to the masses, you know, like a lot of other faiths um, or at least from the faiths that I understand, um, like Catholicism Um where a lot of religion stayed with like the priestly class with the priests, they read and understood the Bible. They taught the public about it, but the average person interpreted things in their own way, but it wasn't uh, like it, when the church was all in Latin, you know, when all the services were in Latin, the common person didn't know that. And they're like, okay, sure. I believe in God, but I don't really feel it. I don't really understand it. It was the same in India with structured religion. A lot of the teaching, a lot of the scriptures, everything stayed in Sanskrit for a long time. Mm -hmm. Whereas the common public often spoke their regional languages, may not have even known how to read and write. This is like, you know, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, you know, where education was limited. So again, this was a way, dance was a way to translate the scriptures and bring them to life and bring them to the public. Hmm. So then the average person who couldn't read the scriptures who couldn't understand that Sanskrit but he can see oh Shiva is coming out he's doing his Tandav he is you know enraged he's slaying demons or okay. Devi the mother goddess is you know um, setting things straight in the world restoring balance so dance and classical dance and those major styles like Bharatnatyam or Kathak Katha literally comes from Katha or story Storyteller, right? yeah. yeah so these are yeah. all forms of storytelling because mm. like most great epics, Hindu scriptures and Indian traditional scriptures are a lot of stories. So these dances brought these stories to life from these scriptures that weren't accessible to everyone and bringing it to the public. You no, know? mm. And besides that, it was also a way of paying respect you know um, to a deity so when there would be like large holidays so to compare it to this context it would be almost like how a choir sings specific pieces like by Beethoven or by some other composer at Christmas Mm -hmm. very similarly on these big major festivals there would be troops of trained skilled dancers who would put on specific performances And because either A, they were translating or transcribing stories from the scriptures or B, because they were actually performing in these Mm -hmm. religious institutions, religion, faith, spirituality is like very closely tied to Indian classical dance styles.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I hope that gives everyone a little bit more background on um, how Indian dance is connected with spirituality. So you've done, Tango, and you've also done Bharatnatyam. You have also done Bollywood, Bhangra, Garba, and I'm not sure if there's any other dance forms you've done. But what does dance mean to you?
1: Dance for me is like the truest embodiment of how I feel, you know, and because. I like to think of myself or honestly, all of us are capable of creating art and all of us are capable of creating art in our own ways. Honestly, I feel all of us should because it's therapeutic, right? It's an outlet of our creative energies and different people do it in different ways. Some people write, some people draw, some people knit. And for me, that outlet of my creative energy has always been dance, mm. you know. So if I am joyous, if I'm happy, I will do bhangra or do like a jig, you know, like you, if you do those dances, there is no way you can be anything but happy, you yes. know. And again, when you're in a focused state of mind, there's a different dance. Um, So for me, dance has been this outward, this outlet for my creative energy, but also it has been about connection. So growing up in India, I was immersed in it because that is the culture I grew up in, the culture I was raised in. And honestly, I did not think dance was as big a part of my identity as it was after I moved here. Mm. And maybe Gayatri, you will relate to some of this because being in a culture that you're not born and raised in, you look for that connection, you know, And that connection that were to my culture, to the language I spoke to the people who looked like me to the kind of movements of my body that I was familiar with was Indian dance, was Bollywood dance or semi-classical or classical dance. So dance has been such a great anchor and has been defining, you know, as an identity Mm. also. I fell in love and I still absolutely love tango and I have no, um, I have no hiccups in admitting this, but being a grad student who moved to this country, knowing no one in this whole giant nation called the United States, I was very lost. I was borderline depressed because of the workloads of being a grad student and a broke grad student who was working multiple jobs while trying to keep grades up while trying to pay student loans. I I don't know if people can relate, but being in that intense place where you're trying to keep, you know, keep things stable without any human connection. The Graduate Student Association at UB came to my rescue completely by offering free tango lessons. And here are people giving you free hugs, literally for a whole hour. (laughs) And you could choose to dance with men, you could choose to dance with women. And when dancing with men, and dance... Again, um, the social dances in the Western style, like salsa or tango or, you know, ballroom, people who dance, those dances will tell you, it's just dance. Like some people are like, oh, but it's it's creepy. You dance, you like, you know, you like hug and move with someone you don't ever know. But you know, it is just dance. And that human connection, those free hugs for an hour, couple times, two times a week, saved me.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love that. And I don't think I've ever thought, of it like that you know you're you're literally getting a hug
1: (laughs) yes 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 and that's the beauty of like tango also specifically because a lot of other dancers like salsa or something they have like an eight step count there is a pattern that you can anticipate but with tango it is all about connection like there is no choreography there is no pattern. It's literally like a conversation where Mm. one person says something and the other person communicates and then it just flows, Mm. you know. So that was very interesting also. Mm. So dance, yes, I'm sorry, this is a very long-winded answer to us. No, it's okay.
0: (laughs) I think it's it's important to to really define it to the way that you believe and the way that you see it, you know. Um, Yeah. Even just making those points, I mean, it was just really remarkable. It was like, I never thought of it like that.
1: (laughs) Yes. And sadly, that's why we can't dance on our tango now because you literally have to hug people, you know? So, (laughs) you get like sticks and just kind of like make believe. I know, right? Like those T Rex arms or something.
0: You know, you've talked to us with how dance, you know, how you're connected to dance and what it means to you, especially now as an adult, or do you feel more closely connected to it because you don't have access to it the way how you did before?
1: Yes, I would say so, like, because I am a little removed from being immersed in it, then I have, I can no longer take it for granted, you know, that it's always Mm. going to be there. So I have to do that digging in deep. I don't always have access to a guru who will tell me about this, this, this story. And then we did such and such ritual and for such and such reason. Therefore, I have to be now that person who goes back and he like, why do we do this? Even like the simple act of like a lot of classical Indian dancers before they go on stage or even actually before a practice session, before doing a single step, they will touch the ground. Mm -hmm. touch it to their eyes Mm -hmm. to their heart before they proceed excuse me do you mind actually sharing with us Um, I know
0: each style between katak and Bharatanatyam is slightly Mm -hmm. different but the Namaskaram do you mind just kind of why why do you (coughs) Why do you touch your eyes? Just so our sure, listeners can Sure, stand. Yeah. Because it's all spiritual based. And even yes. that brings you center, right? Yes. So please go
1: yeah, ahead. Yeah, sure. So, again, we can interpret that at a couple levels. We can interpret that from a faith based level, in which, um, honestly, Hinduism at its root was a pagan culture where we worship the sun god. Like when yoga, people still do Surya namaskars, which are sun salutations so we worship the sun god we worship the god of the seas we worship the earth so in a way that salutation to the ground is dear mother earth i am going to be beating my feet really hard on you to do some footwork so please forgive me so you touch the earth and you touch it to your head which is where your intellect lies or you know your mind your creativity your eyes which you know connect you to the whole world and then of course your heart where your soul is Mm. so there is one aspect of looking at it where you're paying your respects to mother earth and connecting with the ground and also a bit of like asking for forgiveness there is definitely that angle as well Mm. because as as some of you may know in a lot of eastern cultures um you are expected to take your shoes off when you enter someone's house because the feet are considered to be lowest to the ground. Um, you want to keep them clean. And when you are upset at someone or you are mad at someone, like kicking someone is considered to be an insult, like touching someone with your feet because they are considered unclean or- Touching impure. anything with your feet, books Oh or- yes musical instruments
0: like you know sometimes you have kids who may like kick books like I tell my kids I'm like don't you do that
1: Yes.
0: yeah there's a very huge significance on just the respect that you show the earth and the things that are given to you you know like books for education music for art you know so those things
1: yes and I think that all the end ties back to that um, like books, you mentioned Gayatri books and art are all supposed to be considered to be embodiments of goddess Saraswati, the goddess of learning in the arts. So if you kick a book, it's like kicking the goddess Saraswati. Mm-hmm. So that's like a big insult. So same thing, because there was a time when a lot of Hindus worship the earth. We are a pagan culture. And when we do our footwork in classical dances, we are repeatedly striking the earth. So it's asking for forgiveness before we start that. Um so that is definitely one aspect of it and if we look at it from a completely non religious point of view just from a spiritual point of view you are creating connection with the earth and paying it its respect like your the theater like your field your stage whatever place you choose to practice your art you are respecting that space and calling it sacred you know like that itself elevates your art a notch, at least to me, then I respect that space more, you know, this is not a space where just, I don't know, I would hang out and watch Netflix, this is a space where I create something beautiful, you know, something that actually holds meaning to me, So Mm -hmm. even completely removed from the faith based, you know, connotation of it. That little act of just doing that, touching the ground, touching it to your head, your eyes and your heart is such a great way of creating connection and meaning for ourselves, you know, yes. if not for anyone else. Absolutely.
0: Yes. No, definitely. And each again, each um, each form of classical dance has its own namaskaram, but they all pretty much um, embody the
1: same concept. I remember again being um trained in structured classical dance like Bharat you would do the salutation to the earth and then you would salute your guru.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: that's also brings in a very important thing about this idea that you as an artist, you as a dancer, your identity is tied very closely with your guru and with the stage or with the, you know, with the earth, it's kind of like sharing responsibility. Mm-hmm. And creating this idea of community, like, you know, um, yeah. a lot of Western culture is very individualistic, where this idea of, so basically, uh, Indian dancer, when she does that is saying that what I am is because of you. she's saying that to the teacher, you know, so there is that sense of humility, also. So while pride, while confidence in our abilities is great, and we should be if you're good at what you do, you should take pride in it. At the same time, when we lose humility, when we lose that feeling of, I am a little, I'm secondary to someone else, you know, you stop growing, right? Because if you are not humble, then you think there is no more room to grow. Mm -hmm. Like if you hold on to humility, then it's like, I can be better. I can do better. This is what I aspire to be, you know, Mm -hmm. then you are going to keep striving and growing. So that also I really love about, and again, that is a completely non-faith way based way of thinking about the spiritual aspect of the Mm Namaskaram of, you know, saluting the earth and your guru, because Mm -hmm. Hey, you are a little, you are greater than me. I still have things to learn from you. So thank you for sharing your knowledge, you know?
0: Yes. And I think a guru defined here um, because Sometimes anybody can be a guru. Oh, um, yes. Yes. Um, I think with Indian culture, a guru is defined as someone who is teaching a very, a very strong life lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a teacher that you just go to three times a day. You become part of that teacher's life and that teacher's yes. life becomes part of yours. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Because like, again, and this is obviously not the case now in modern days, but when these dances originated, children would leave their homes and go live in the teacher's home where they would train, you know, um, they would almost like Mr. Miyagi to the extreme, they wash the car, wipe the floors, you know, all of that. So you would work for the teacher, you would gain skills you know you would do things for the teacher and in exchange for no money the teacher would pass on their knowledge to you so yes a guru then becomes like this mother figure I want to say because most dancers tend to be Mm -hmm. female dance teachers tend to be female and then they have this central role and they stay with you so again if you connect with a traditional Indian dancer no matter how old they are they will still reminisce about their gurus Mm -hmm. because just like that grandma or that aunt who, even though they're not possibly in their life now, yeah. you have such strong memories to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think that um, one of the biggest things to realize here as we're talking about this, because some people are, are probably thinking like, oh my God, why would I wanna go live with a teacher? I can just take 10 classes and it'll be okay. No, the, the aspect of dance and music and Indian culture is just so tied into the life and it's really woven into like the culture and the traditions. It's not something that you can just learn in an hour or two hour class. It really Mm -hmm. is part of like that guru's entire life, their entire day, how they, how they eat, how they take care of themselves, how they take care of like beings around them and so forth. So understanding how that person works in that, in that particular area um, by living with them and residing with them, you learn the full embodiment of what this dance form really is. Definitely. Mm. So, um, so tell our listeners what you're currently reading. That really sparked this conversation between you and I.
1: Ooh, yes. I have been reading the Gita, which I love. It is such a, Again, I like it because it's accessible, you know, in the sense that I don't have to know Sanskrit, I don't need to, you know, practice daily, I don't need to know the ins and outs of this complex faith that is thousands of years old, but it gives me and in the the book, the Gita basically is for anyone who's interested um. It is advice that was given by Lord Krishna to Arjun, who was this warrior prince who was standing in battle against his family, basically. Um, And Lord Krishna gives him such meaningful and easy to apply advice about duty and life and what is happiness, what is contentment, what has brought you to this point. So basically... Arjuna was facing this big struggle. Like, how can I raise arms against my family? That was his dilemma. And then the response the Lord gave that became the Gita. Mm. So the Gita essentially is this guidebook of when you're in a tough spot, here's how you get out of it, you know? So in times where things have been a little rough and I know I don't speak just for myself. But this pandemic has hit a lot of us hard. Besides that, being a mother, uh, I am a business person. I run my own private practice doing pelvic floor therapy, keeping everything afloat. Like a lot of us moms, we juggle so many balls, you know, we take <laughs> it a really different <laughs> way. I am so sorry. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if my husband was here, he'd be like, what? What balls are you juggling? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Inappropriate joke. But anyhow, <laughs> we balance out so many things. And so that has been my anchor. So the Gita has been like my guidebook. Like, hey, this is how you... M- Achieve stability. This is how you figure out what is the best course for action, you know. So that has been really helpful for me. Um, and that's what I have been doing recently that has really sparked this conversation because I feel like, okay, I have that grounding, I know how to find my path. I'm not saying I'm there yet, you know. Who knows when we'll arrive where we want to, Mm -hmm. but I have somewhat of an idea of how to get there. Mm -hmm. So That is what I have been reading, the Bhagavad Gita. So yes, uh, and the Bhagavad Gita, and I have read other versions, but this version was based out of the Vedanta Society, and it really resonated with me. Um, So yes, the explanations were very clear, very concise without being very flowy or flowery. And sometimes I can be a very cut and dry person. Um, So yes. (laughs) Again, I'll say you cannot be a great dancer. (laughs) So it really resonated with me. Um, And also a podcast I love listening to. Is that okay to recommend? Absolutely. Um, I love it. The podcast I love is called The Yoga Way of Life. Mm. And it's on Stitcher, it's on other platforms. It is again out of the Vedanta Society of Southern California. And again, that is so accessible to a lot of us because this guru who is based out of the Vedanta Society, he relates things to examples in our daily life. You know, the whole idea of first of all, karma. Again, uh, A concept that is misinterpreted in Western culture so often, karma is not a bitch. Karma doesn't mean vengeance. Karma means doing actions without worrying about their consequence. Mm. So we do things for the sake of doing them because we should do them or we want to do them and letting go of the result completely. You know, so this... um, resonated with me quite recently because I was that mom who was trying to juggle motherhood and home life and trying to get a business off the ground. And this was like about a year back now. And I was in that new business growing phase where it's like, I am doing so much, but why isn't anything working? Why aren't people breaking the door down, you know, trying to book me? <laughs> uh if there are other entrepreneurs on the group, you will probably relate. And then when I heard this guru say, you know, if you have the computer and you put a command, you know, X, Y, and Z, or you do X and Y, you always get the result Z. That's how computers work. It's an algorithm. It makes complete sense. Human beings are wonderfully complex. We are not so predictable. And more interestingly, nothing we do happens in vacuum you cannot predict other human beings. So no matter if you're doing all the right things, no matter you're doing X perfectly, no matter you're doing Y perfectly, you may not always get seen. So you have to let that go, Mm. you know, and you have to let that go, knowing that whatever is going to happen will happen. Mm -hmm. And because you're practicing this way, this way that the Gita teaches you, you will learn to be happy at whatever that, result is, whether it be Z, whether it be A, whether it be W, you know, so, and that was very grounding to me. Yes. If I let go of our anticipation, like, Hey, how many people am I booking or, you know, that result, I was much more happy. Mm-hmm. And then just by doing the process, by enjoying it, mm-hmm. the results will come because then you do a good job, right. Yeah. You can be present. You can really be doing the action. Mm -hmm. without hyper focusing on the result and you do the action better Mm -hmm. so again that was that's something that guru taught me because I had read this before in the Gita in other versions but when this guru in that podcast said it this way I was like something just clicked yes Yes, I understand computers so yes that makes sense to me (laughs) so yeah so that's what I have been reading and listening to I've picked up this book so many times over the years,
0: um, and I think sometimes it just gets a little overwhelming.
1: Um, Oh, yes. It's deep.
0: Yes, exactly. Like, it's so deep. It connects so much with you. Um, Sometimes you get a little nervous because of all that you've read, Um, but I still highly recommend it. So, I again, I have picked the book back up, and it is part of something that I read. Definitely check it out if you can. So Sujata, now that you have, you know, reconnected with um, your spirituality and your practice, how do you see yourself bringing your spirituality into your dance form?
1: Okay, that is, yeah, that is such an important question, Gayatri. As we come back and hopefully come together in studios again, I... For myself have that spirituality in my dance and I know a lot of dancers and a lot of people in the arts or in movement like yoga teachers and there is a lot of curiosity among our community about learning The roots of these, you know, there are dancers who want to understand, who want to incorporate things from the other styles or just learn origins better. And I have realized that as someone who comes from that culture, uh, it is almost my duty to speak and share that with people who want to learn about it so again I'm so glad Gayatri you're doing what you do because you're putting our voices out there for those who want to find us you know Um, because yes you can google and you can find on wikipedia but the lived experience of people who have you know who have grown in this culture who come from it who have contributed to it is something different so what i find myself doing more so now is i share my stories through you know experiences like this where i come and talk to someone when they want to know i do have social media channels for my Um, my business, which is really a medical business, it's a healthcare service called Concierge Pelvic Floor, and if you actually scroll through my feed, you will notice, like right around April and May, there's a lot more spirituality (laughs) posts, and I don't know if I lost followers for it, because they're like, why the hell is this girl talking about meditation and grounding and spirituality? I want to learn how I should stop peeing, you know, (laughs) But, but you know, if you, again, If you, and spirituality is very, very important to good pelvic health. But total aside, I just realized this is my voice. You know, I want to tell the world about where I'm coming from, Mm -hmm. what my story is, not just because of like the authentic experience, but sadly, I feel like to some extent, because of people's curiosity about wanting to learn more, there is this tendency sometimes of people, who may not really understand something, trying to stage themselves as experts or speak for a culture, Mm. you know? Mm. Um, We can call it appropriation. We can call it what we want. But sometimes we find that there are individuals who want to tap into that curiosity, that very genuine, that good-hearted interest in learning about another culture. Mm -hmm. But then you have people who who's placed themselves as experts after maybe going on a six month trip to India
0: and I think that goes back to just our conversation with a guru and really becoming a part of their life and learning their teachings from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed is so important because you're embodying everything about that person and if you choose to teach later on
1: Yes. ability just yes. I
0: to know you have to be yes this has to be approved by your guru um, yeah. before you can even perform mm-hmm. before you can teach before you can do anything
1: mm-hmm. so yeah just speaking out using what channels I have um, I do like talks sometimes in the community with local yoga studios Um, where, okay, today we are going to talk about this topic and I give them backgrounds. Well, this is why we do sun salutations or Ganesha, we pray to him at the beginning of something for this reason, you know, basically give context and give people that access to that authentic voice, you know, and again, not that someone who didn't grow up immersed in that culture can not understand it, I don't want to say that by any means, but just to provide that authenticity, you know, just to tell our stories using a voice that is, you know, indigenous, that is native to that land. I think that definitely offers a new perspective.
0: Mm, yes, absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. When the film industry decided to take on dance
1: mm-hmm.
0: and market it you know, in their films, do you think that an essence of classical dance was lost?
1: I wouldn't say so, just because people who still practice the true classical dance, like again, if you're learning from someone who trained with like a real guru, they are going to hold on to those true practices. At the same time, Things that we see here, we will see, you know, in India as well. There are teachers who claim to be experts who don't have that immersive training, you know, in dance, in the culture. Okay, what if I'm, I am demonstrating, if I'm acting out how, like, Durga slays this demon, which book is that coming from? or Which story is that from? There are people who will call themselves experts um, and not be truly immersed there. Um, at the same time, there is that whole classical dance is no longer cool because now Bollywood is this and that and we do hip-hop and we do popping and locking. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like watering down what this used to be. So, and also it's not good hip-hop. It's not good popping and locking.
0: (laughs) Again, you have to really be immersed in the dance
1: world. Yes.
0: really understand it.
1: Exactly. So, because again... Um, As the whole world really is trying to become this melting pot, we are all connecting. There definitely is that slight watering down of these traditional art forms. But, you know, um, I really hold on to hope that it will get carried on. You know, because as we start moving, like, for example, just my experience, I moved so away from my roots, I had to turn back and come back to it. You know, so that journey is going to happen for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that true connection, you're not going to find in Bollywood dance. You have to go back to the origins. You have to go back to those classical art styles. So yes, our lesser kids now enrolling for classical dance classes with like old school gurus quite possibly yes you know but there's people like you and me who are seeking them out so you know I guess eventually it'll all balance out and these dance styles have endured for hundreds of years and I don't think they're going anywhere at the same time to make sure they don't go anywhere, people like me and you and other people who have been immersed in their cultures, like even here in Buffalo, New York, where we originate from, there are so many dancers who are teaching and keeping their cultural dances alive, you know? And again, that said, it's our duty. We have to, we have to use our voices and we have to share our cultures or they will stop to get, you know, Stop being carried on.
0: I think that you know that's one of the biggest things here is that you know we're using we're using the traditions and the cultures that we grew up in to really uh, share our stories in different ways. But there's having this opportunity to really speak about it, right? So whether you're performing on stage or talking on a podcast. Mm -hmm. you know in an interview or you're a motivational speaker speaking at an event um you know you're sharing a story you're sharing a story about who you are and how you want the rest of the world to see you yes most definitely how do you plan on you know sharing this with your son you know this this part of you the spirituality the dance are you looking to pass this down to him
1: I will say Bharat Natyam is very much dominated by female dancers. Um, A little bit selfishly, not very selfishly. I want him to be a classical Indian musician so he can mute the music and mama can dance.
0: (laughs) Yes!
1: So. A hundred percent, yes. I want him to train in the classical music styles of Bharat Natyam to keep our music alive. Because again, we don't have that classical music. You're not going to have classical dance. Mm-hmm. Because again, there are more dancers. Because, you know, dance is more performative, you know. Um, we can really like pull an audience in. Not that musicians can't, but it has so happened that classical Indian music has died down a lot quicker that you're like you asked about Gayatri like do you think classical Indian dance is declining it is to an extent but classical Indian music has been really hit hard by Bollywood now that is a definite yes you know because when was the last time you heard a classical Indian style song on the radio Mm. almost never right Mm. so like I can think of like maybe one song that was popular in the last year um, but yes so that is how I want to carry it forward at the same time of course like and I am such a lazy person I hate working out <laughs> you know I am like the opposite of you know the person who like goes to the gym so I need something to keep me busy that I actually enjoy mm. and for me that is dance mm. so I feel my hips are getting tight. I do a full squat to the floor, Bharat Natyam style. You know, again, I need to get some quick cardio in. Let's practice some footwork. Mm -hmm. You know, I plan to keep the art alive just by practicing it myself, by again, keeping this style alive with engaging with my community and having my, you know, my son participate as he is able. And I hope he loves It just like as I have and he grows into it because we don't want to force anything onto our children. But again, growing, raising them in it, immersing them in it from a young age is, you know, Mm -hmm. another way to keep it alive for for all of us.
0: And I think one of the biggest things, especially since, you know, we are so um, withdrawn from the actual culture, like from India itself, I think the more that you... That you um, entice them with it, the more you want to learn yourself, you know, because yes. you're just digging and you're going deeper and deeper and deeper into it yes. because you want to share it with them, but you also want to know more and gives you this opportunity to really become an advocate for the art.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. This has been such a great discussion, Gayatri. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my
0: goodness. Thank you so much. Yes, this is wonderful. It was such a pleasure really speaking with you about this topic. You know, I've I've done Indian classical dance, Bharatanatyam for a few years and then now Kathak, which is two very different things. It's um it's been eye-opening just all of this information for me myself, you know, and hopefully for everyone else who is listening, just knowing a little bit more about Indian classical dance it embodies so much more than just Performing, it really does. It's a way of life. And, you know, taken from the Gita, um, from in the Ramayan, all these texts, the Vedic texts, um, being able to become one with the divine, right? It helps you to become one with the divine. Um, it brings you closer to God, you know, God, you know, energy, energy force. Um, However, you would like to define it It just brings you closer to something bigger than yourself.
1: Yes. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, when you dance out those stories for those few minutes, you are Durga. You are. You are Shiv. You are that energy. You are that universal power. So what bigger way to grow as a person, you know?
0: And I think that goes back to my question of, you know, can someone be an Indian dancer without being spiritual, without being spiritual? And I think that um, that that's really what it is, because you embody, you embody this, this, this form that's not yours, right? Right. You embody Krishna, you embody Sita, you embody all the different uh, divinities. And, you know, if you're not connected with them, it's really hard to become them when you are performing yes
1: Yes. therefore you can be good but you gotta be great
0: (laughs) is going to get her own (laughs) t-shirt you can be good but you cannot be great Oh. oh my goodness, Sujatha, this was wonderful to chat with you. I miss you so much. I miss being in rehearsals with you and seeing you, but I am so glad that we got to connect on this level and for you to share your story with me and our listeners. I am so, 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 so grateful for you um, and your friendship. I really am.
1: Oh, thank you, and I feel the same way. Thank you so much for doing this and again, making our voices heard so important.
0: Yes, so important. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, this is Gayatrice um with Beyond the Studio. And my guest today was Sujata Martin. Thank you for listening.